Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm a clinical psychologist and work with children, teenagers and their families, particularly in the areas of resilience, learning strengths and well-being. I'm also the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking with people who are experts in their area in terms of mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of the Generation Next podcast group. Thank you. Today, I'm delighted to talk to a colleague and a friend, Paul Dillon, who, in my opinion, has done an enormous contribution to the well-being of young people through his directorship of the Drug and Alcohol Research and Training Australia, or DATA. But Paul travels around the world talking about this. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about the effects of, the, of 2020, we're going to talk about some of the new trends, of course, in substance use or abuse, if that's the case, and then really what are some of the implications for what schools can do, but also us as, a, as societal members and what we can do to help young people through this. So welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Andrew. Great to be with you again. Yeah, great to be with you. And so the horror show of 2020, of course, everyone knows about that. So we don't need to elaborate on how difficult it was, but clearly it had implications for patterns of drug and alcohol use. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've observed or noticed? Well, I think um, certainly what we, uh, there were many studies done right across the world on the impact of uh, the COVID pandemic on um, the alcohol and other drug use of adults. There are international studies still being conducted, you know, the third, fourth wave of kind of collecting data. In Australia, there were, there were three major studies that were being done. Most famous one, most well-known one, I think, would be AWARE. Um, which is conducted by the University of New South Wales, and they've received a, a reasonable amount of publicity. But as far as school-based young people are concerned, um, really there has been nothing. If you look at the research that's out there, and I've been kind of scouring it regularly trying to find data that's there, the only thing I can find is something that was conducted in Canada, kind of like at the height of their lockdown. And it certainly did reflect, it does reflect a lot of what um, I've been seeing. Uh, I do need to stress that uh, throughout this podcast, I, I'm not really going to necessarily be talking, um, providing a lot of hard data because there just simply isn't any. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, the things that I want to, want to talk about are really the things that I'm seeing um, when I go into schools now, but certainly through the lockdown and, pro um, and after the lockdown, the kind of contact I have with young people in the main around with social media. I have an Instagram account where I've got about 20, almost 28,000 young people who follow me on Instagram. And um, yeah, that was an amazing way of, of kind of keeping connected with young people during that time, the kind of questions they were asking, the things they were seeing. And Certainly, we, I certainly saw some, some dramatic changes in, um, of course, the way they socialised and then, of course, what impact that had on their alpha and other drug use. So I think um, there are probably three major areas that you have seen trends in, vaping, nanging and cannabis. So let's talk about each of those in turn. Can you tell us a bit about vaping and why it's uh, a concern? Yeah, look, vaping has really, um, in all the years that I've done what I do, and I've been doing it for a long time, I've never had a 
um, a drug issue or a drug type or anything um, kind of hit to where every single school, and I did many Zoom uh, presentations to young people at the end of last year, and I finally got back to school that, uh, in uh, term four to some extent, but every school that I was speaking to, they were saying, you will, you will talk about vaping, won't you? And for the very first time this year, every school I'm going on speaking at year 10, year 11, year 12, first time I've talked about the same issue with all year groups. Um, it really has kind of exploded. I think the main reason it has and why it became very popular during, it was, it was certainly gaining popularity before the pandemic, but I think certainly it kind of exploded throughout because it's so easy to access in terms of online, via social media, delivery, home delivery. And that's really what's kind of unique about drug use at the moment across the country is that the access to some of these well, to all substances has dramatically increased through social media, but also deli home delivery services. That's the other the other issue. And that's where I think vaping does come in. I mean, it takes you five seconds to, you know, Google vaping, vapes Australia, and you'll find so many websites that will deliver them to your door. So for some of our listeners, of course, that may be less clear on what vaping is, can you just explain it? Yeah, well, vaping um, vaping is the use of electronic cigarettes, e-cigarettes. Um, they're a very new phenomenon. The very first one was invented in 2003 by a Chinese inventor who wanted to basically remove the most dangerous aspect out of smoking. And that is, of course, you, um, you smoke it. Um, and, uh, and what it does, it removes burnt matter, um, and removes that um, the real risk of cancer. Tar smoking causes cancer, and uh, if you vape, you remove the smoke. Um, of course, they were originally designed as uh, kind of a nicotine replacement therapy. So for those people who were smoking who wanted to reduce the harm, they could go to vaping. And um, I certainly don't want to get down, go down that path because you can get very easily attacked by a whole pile of people who will say, why are you knocking vaping? It's a harm reduction strategy, et cetera. And uh, I'm certainly not going to argue with that. However, like many issues that we've seen over the years around drugs, it tends to be young people, particularly the very young teens who get, kind of get caught in the middle of this because what's happened is most tobacco, most of the vaping companies are now owned by tobacco companies. They're certainly seeing a market, uh, their, their profits have dropped. And so they've seen this market for young people. And so you've got brightly colored, disposable, um, highly flavored vapes and young people have just grabbed them, gravitated towards them. And look, schools across the country, I went to one school not very long ago, they were suspending between six and 10 young people daily for vaping. Now I have never, heard anything like that that is just beyond belief and certainly I don't think I've been to a school where they haven't had significant problems with kids vaping in the classroom there are social media challenges where you get certain points for vaping um, in behind a teacher's back behind a principal in a school assembly and uh, so you know schools are struggling to kind of how to deal with this. Both wise why should we be concerned about vaping? Well, I think the most important thing is we really don't know. I mean, the long-term effect, they've only been around for 18 years. They took, it took us hundreds of years to find out the dangers of, of smoking. Mm. And certainly there's lots of research being conducted. 
The ones, uh, you know, I think you've got to be very careful with young people that you don't lie to them, that you don't exaggerate the, um, the harms. So I think we do have to acknowledge that there have been some vaping deaths. Um, the main ones have been due to contaminated pods, the little pods that contain the e-liquid have been contaminated. Certainly exploding devices, we're seeing more of that. I've received a couple of photographs from people recently. A parent sent me a photograph of her son's face where a, a small disposable device has exploded in his face. And there's other issues around, we're now starting to see that some of the flavorings that are in, um, that are contained in them, which are absolutely totally fine if they're in food, but when they are heated, and I think many people don't realize, but in a vape, they heat the e-liquid to a temperature of about 350 degrees Celsius. So when it gets that hot, it changes the structure of it. And there's a couple of flavors now that are banned around the world that have now been found to be carcinogenic because of that heating process. So as I say to young people, I could come back in 20 years and if I do, kill me because I'll be 80. But if uh, you could say, um, uh, I could say, look, we've done lots of research. They're absolutely fine. Go for it. But I could come back in two years and say, look, if you were vaping at 15, 16, go and see your doctor because there is now a cancer that's been identified with something. So there's a lot of unknowns. And I think mm. sometimes an unknown is far better than actually lying about an exaggerated, you know, um, falsehood. Yeah, thank you. And the second major trend was nanging. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, well, Nanging's been around for a very long time. I'm sure some of the listeners would have um, would remember Nanging. It wasn't called that then. Uh, whippets, they were called when I was younger. Whipped cream cartridges that contain nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide is the gas you get when you go to a dentist. It's the anaesthetic that's used in childbirth. And when you inhale nitrous, you get a very brief high, about 90 seconds. You laugh, you giggle, and that's why it's often referred to as laughing gas. And um, yeah, as I said, it's been around for a very long time. Um, I think 1792 was when it was first uh, synthesized. So it has been around for a while, but it has really made a comeback. Um, and once again, it really hit very big during the pandemic, mainly because of online services. You can, um, if the listeners want to go to the app store and just type in name, you'll find apps that will actually deliver NANGs to your door. Um, they're kind of under the kind of guise of uh, whipped cream services, and they will also provide you with, um, you know, cupcake mixes. So, yeah, you can see a pile of 16-year-olds sitting at home making cupcakes on a Saturday night. But, yeah, the, the thing, when they get the whipped cream dispenser, they um, empty it into a balloon, they pass the balloon around, inhale it, and they get that high. As I said, it's a very brief high, so you have to keep nanging throughout the night. And um, yeah, I'm going, I've certainly met young people who are as young as year sevens who are doing this quite regularly. They see it as harmless and just a bit of fun. And the dangers of it? Well, it does need to be kind of um, acknowledged that this is a, a fairly low risk drug compared to many other things. And I hate comparing drugs, but certainly it's, it's relatively low risk. Things can go wrong. Most of the deaths that occur through, through nanging are due to uh, misadventure. So uh, I know of three um, that have happened. Um, two young men, one young man inhaled the balloon, fell backwards, hit his head and died from a brain injury. And another young man choked on his own vomit. The other young man died in a very bizarre way. And anaesthetists will tell you, people who work with nitrous on a daily basis will say this is almost impossible to do unless you inhale from a medical cylinder. But these, this young man inhaled from the balloon and robbed oxygen of it, uh, starved oxygen from his uh, brain and he died almost instantly from hypoxia, 
which is extremely rare. Most probably the most famous nanging death would be the young man who died at school it's a number of years ago on the Gold Coast where he got very high, got onto his balcony and he fell off the balcony. But I suppose the other harm that I think people have to kind of put at the back of their heads, and certainly if you work with young people, particularly those at-risk young people who nang, one of the key messages to them is that these nangs contain nitrous oxide, which is uh, at a temperature of minus 40 degrees. It is freezing. And um, I met two year nine boys a couple of years ago who hadn't put the nitrous into a balloon. They put it straight into their mouths. You put something minus 40 degrees into your mouth, it's frostbite. You also see sometimes people who, as they're putting the nitrous into a balloon using a charger, it slips and then the nitrous hits their skin and they get a little bit of frostbite on their hands. So there, there is a risk there. My, my concern about nanging is the, so the normalisation of it at a very early age, that, yeah, it's okay to get high when you are like, you know, 13, 14. What does that actually lead to next? And I think that's my kind of concern about it. Is it a terrible, awful problem? Most probably not. Um, and is it going to kill or harm a lot of young people? Most probably not. But that kind of normalisation, I think, is, is always problematic. Thanks, Paul. And the third major trend is the perennial marijuana and the usage rates of that through 2020. What did you observe? Yeah, well, look, if you look at the data around, um, or pretty well around the world about um, what happened during a pandemic, uh, that was the one drug that um, kind of increased in use all across the world, mainly uh, due to access that you can actually, doesn't matter what country in the world you, uh, you live in, you can grow cannabis yourself. So it's no surprise that that was the one um, uh, apparently in the UK at the moment they're having quite a problem with that, with their hard lockdown they've had during winter, that there have been people who uh, may have stopped for years and years and they've gone back to cannabis and, and experiencing some kind of issues with it. Um, what I've seen with young people is that use has not exploded. It hasn't certainly, it's nowhere near the kind of levels that it was back in the 90s. But that little group of young people who are using this drug are doing very silly things with it. Um, they're doing things like, you know, bringing it to school, you know, and um, uh, that is uh, resulting in some pretty significant consequences. I mean, I think young people are very confused about the legal status of cannabis. And so as a result of that, they're taking risks and it is illegal. And if it is, if you are caught with illegal drugs, there are significant consequences. And that I think needs to be made very clear to young people. I think the whole, I think why we're seeing this kind of shift is certainly the medicinal use of cannabis is very confusing to young people. They don't, we, we you know, we've introduced it across the country, but no one has really explained how it works or what it is. Um, so that's one confusing aspect that many parents face, for example. So, you know, when a parent finds a child with cannabis, often they say, well, what, you know, you're using cannabis and they go, ah, but it's a medicine. And parents don't know how to respond to that. I think the other issue is that we now have two countries in the world that have legalised it. That's Uruguay and Canada. We've got a number of states in America that have legalised it. Um, many people think it's legal in, um, in the Netherlands. It isn't. It never has been. They have a policy of tolerance there. So the police turn a blind eye. And I think what has confused everything in this country is the ACT. I think there is a belief that um, the ACT legalised cannabis. They didn't. They did a partial legalisation. It's a very specific 
um, way of using. You have to be 18 years or over. You use it in your own home. You use it. You can't give it. You can't sell it. You can't share it with anyone. And you can't take it anywhere. So it's a very specific use. But young people here, certainly lots of schools I've been, I've been, um, I've been to, uh, particularly this year, have said when they caught someone with cannabis, they'll turn around and say, but it's legal in the ACT. Is it going to cause terrible harm for everyone? Of course not. The whole thing with cannabis is that um, we know the vast majority of people who use it will never have a problem. But, and it's a big but with a however underlined 99 times, if you're that one in 10 people who, um, who, who do have a problem with cannabis, it's a terrible life-changing mm. problem. And it's emotivating factor in many cases. Yeah. So you're mentioning home delivery services being much more prevalent. That's a really interesting trend, I guess, that we're basically to your door supplying illegal substances, essentially. Is that right? Yeah, look, I mean, it's been a thing overseas, um, certainly in major cities. I mean, when I used to go overseas many, many years ago, 20 years ago, you could go to New York and you could talk to people who worked in the drug field there or London, major, major, big, big cities, and you would find that there would be delivery services of drugs like cocaine, for example, but other drugs as well, and you'd call someone. Certainly in Sydney, there was a very famous taxi driver that lots of people knew for many, many years who would actually, you know, you'd call this taxi driver and they'd go past your house, you'd hop in, you'd drive around the corner and they would provide it. But now it's a very sophisticated, very sophisticated service. Uh, I had a young man about two weeks ago who said, I'd given my talk, he was a year 12, he said, do you want to know how easy it is to get MDMA ecstasy? And he had his phone, he went... He got onto, I think it was Instagram. It could have been Snapchat. I'm not too sure. And he wrote blah, 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 right, typed in a few words. And then he had three delivery services that would deliver them to the school before the end of the day. Wow. Like that. Yeah. And that to me is kind of wow. And, mm. you know, you're hearing, you're hearing certainly law enforcement say now, how, how do they in a million years keep up with that? It's, it's, it's um, constantly evolving. The good news is, and I think we have to hold on to this, most young people don't want to use drugs. So that's kind of the good news, at least. It's certainly not when they're school-based young people. So it might be out there, but they don't want to do it. But, yeah, I think this is something that um, people simply are not aware of how easy they are to access. Um, to give you an example, the, um, the Murdoch papers, when the young man died in... Um, uh, from nitrous when he fell off the balcony at school. Was, they did a kind of an expose saying, how easy is it, is it to get nitrous, to get NANs? And they wrote, it took us two hours. I don't know what they were doing for an hour and 55 minutes because <laughs> yes. to be quite honest, you could, um, even I could access nitrous, access NANs and get them delivered to my door in literally five minutes. An Uber service will bring them to me. So... When it comes to the illicits, and of course, nitrous isn't an illicit, you can use it to whip cream, but um, to the, it might take a little bit longer for the illicits, but it is, it's extremely easy. And so with all that in mind, I think it's very important that if at the very least, we try to make sure that young people are not interested in doing this for as long as possible, I suppose, because what we do know is where the harm is more than anything else is that if you don't have life experience to back up the drug use, if something goes wrong, that's when we see deaths, that's when we see you know, tragic events occurring. So 2020, of course, was a year of many things, but one of them was reinvention. And I guess for, for somebody 
like yourself who delivers well-being programs in schools or a process really with students, I'd be intrigued just to ask you to cast your mind to what sort of changes or different approaches you think are more likely to work in the future than perhaps did so before 2020. Wow, that's a doozy, Andrew. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, look, I, I don't know um, what you did during 2020 and how you kind of had to um, alter what you do normally. I mean, my, um, my work with young people very much depends on face-to-face -face and feedback. It's like I have a set presentation, but every audience, like, you know, sometimes people say, don't you get sick of saying the same thing every day, day in, day out? It's just not like that because every group of young people are different. You're going to get, you know, um, a smile from one side of the room and then you'll direct something else that way. You'll say a word and you can see a little group mutter. You'll change it. So I think what I, number one, I, I had to kind of um, alter my messages to make them more concise because we um, times in front of a computer you couldn't do zoom talks for my typical time I also had to alter some of my messages I had to make my messages short much shorter much sharper and I think to be quite honest uh, like going back into schools this year it's made me a better presenter mm -hmm. um, I think um, I am more like and it gave me it gave me time I mean you I think you and I have been around for the same amount of time and we've been on the go now for you know 20 something years doing yeah. this I think that five six weeks where I didn't do anything because I had like I think five weeks of not doing anything that gave me real time to sit down and look at what I was doing and go oh maybe I can change that in some way so it gave me a bit of a time as you said to reflect mm. and to go well I've been doing this message and is it really is you know, if I've got this much time, is that is it worth doing that one? And I think that was that was really really useful. And yeah. certainly, I do feel I feel kind of re-energized in some ways about and excited about doing what I do. And I, I, I'm lucky if I, I love what I do. If I if I didn't, I wouldn't do it anymore. Thank you so much for this talk, but also for the work that you do. I think it makes an incredible difference in young people's lives, and I want I want to honour that by basically acknowledging the power of what you do. So thanks, Paul. Well, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for your time today. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people and also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you. Find more resources for supporting the mental health and well-being of young people on the Generation Next website. While you're there, consider becoming a member of the Online Learning Hub, where you can access practical sessions from leading experts on demand. There are many sessions available in the ever-expanding learning library, and each session has an instantly downloadable certificate of completion, which you may even be able to use to claim professional development. You can also feel great about your membership, with all proceeds supporting Generation Next's not-for-profit initiatives, including this podcast. You may also like to read more in Generation Next's Young Minds books, 
Both books contain practical and easy-to-read chapters on a range of topics from Australia's leading practitioners. Andrew Fuller's chapter, What is Resilience and How to Do It, is in the book Growing Happy, Healthy Young Minds, available on the Generation Next website at www.generationnext.com.au. We hope you found this podcast helpful. Please share this podcast and your learnings with others. Until next time, thanks for listening and for all you do to support young people and our communities.